a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to hour number two of Inside Sources. Uh, my name is Scott Simpson. I'm filling in for Boyd Matheson today on Inside Sources, which airs every weekday from 1 to 3 on KSL News Radio. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into an issue, uh, the Ukraine war. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but when this war started, I was worried. Uh, you know, it was a, a big event. Uh, you could sort of forecast this unraveling in a much deeper way. And it seemed like within a few weeks, the, the uh, Ukrainian uh, people and the leadership there did miraculous things and really t- t- seemed to turn the tide Obviously, in the north, they they moved the Russians back out, or the Russians left. The fortunes of the Russian army did not uh, go too well in those early days. And uh, it seems like the war now has, uh, again, turned to a different uh, trajectory. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. We have with us today uh, contributing editor, editor to Reason, uh, J.D. Tuchili. Uh You've recently written, J.D., first of all, welcome to Inside Sources. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You've recently written that we we need to be prepared for a long and difficult and more protracted war. What's changed for in, in this part of the world? Well, the nature of the conflict changed. Um, the battlefields of the West took place in more forested land. Uh, guerrilla attacks uh, using rocket launchers against uh, tank columns were more possible there. The East is flatter. Um, it is easier landscape to dominate using artillery and armor. And it means that the war, which, um, I mean, and let's not say detract from what the Ukrainians have accomplished. They've given and are giving the Russians a much greater fight than anybody anticipated. But it's more of a slugfest now. Uh, they're not so easily, or I, I, I don't want you know, to say it was easy for them to push the Russians back in the West, but they were, did put the Russians back. Uh, now, instead of that, they're uh, battling back and forth across the same ground. You have cities um, with fighting in the streets. Um, they're taking and retaking the same territory. And the Ukrainians have really settled in for a long-term drawn-out conflict, something that's not going to end in weeks. Um, it may extend well into next year. In fact, the Russian president, Zelensky, uh, you know, just a few days ago, warned his people that next winter is going to be a difficult winter on the assumption that war would still be going on then. So, uh, you know, our involvement seems to have changed. We've taken these incremental steps to change the weapons platforms that we've been sending over uh, providing, uh, at least attempting to provide 
the Ukrainians a better opportunity to de- defend themselves against the Russians. Is this having an effect? I mean, I, are they are the Russians able to answer to whatever it is that we send or the other Western countries send to help the Ukrainians? Well, it was necessary. I mean, early on, it was uh, shoulder-fired missiles, and those were very effective uh, in kind of guerrilla combat. Now you need more standing army, um, armor-to-armor, artillery-to-artillery kind of weapons. And the U.S. and uh, the U.K. in particular have been providing artillery pieces. Um, The French uh, provided a howitzer system called the Caesar system. The U.S. and the U.K. have now moved on to multiple rocket launchers, which have uh, about half again the range, about 80-kilometer range, and can really strike the Russians far behind the front lines. Uh, You need that in the east, but it means it's kind of a more brutal, uh, long, you know, long-range armor-based uh, warfare, uh, much nastier, and it's something that is kind of drawing the West in closer to being combatants. Uh, the U.S. and the U.K. in particular providing very heavy weapon systems. So are the Eastern Europeans, I mean, the Poles, uh, the Czechs, providing tanks and artillery systems that are kind of fading the lines between countries that are simply providing support to Ukraine and countries that are actively participating in the war. And we're kind of hitting a dangerous point at this point uh, right now where you wonder uh, at what point we cross that line and really enmesh the West in what is to now been a Ukraine to Russia uh, war. Right. And the Russians appear to be amplifying their uh, rhetoric. You know, I, I don't know if it's bravado is the right way to describe it, but they are they are answering sort of uh, from a communications perspective at this point. Uh, the, the idea that we sh- could expect deeper targets, uh, more pain. What what do you see as the likelihood of, of a, a, a dangerous expansion beyond the battlefield as it stands today? Well, one of the more troubling things about uh, these rhetorical exchanges has been that as early as April, Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, was hinting a nuclear war with the West. That doesn't leave a lot of rhetorical room. So where do you, how do you escalate from there? Um, at what point does that kind of uh, you know purple over the top language turn into actual strikes? Uh, so far, the Russian strikes have been confined to Ukraine proper. They definitely have hit armor and training camps uh, where you know foreign personnel may be based, but all within Ukraine. Uh, I would hope it doesn't cross that border into Poland or the Czech Republic or what have you. But uh, that is the concern, of course. I mean, and that's certainly what the Baltic states are concerned about. I mean, you've got Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania there that are tiny. Um, you, you can't quite th- throw a rock across them from the Russian border, but you you don't not that far from that. Right. So obviously they're very nervous about what's happening in Russia. And the Russians have very definitely uh, threatened to escalate from uh, economic war with the warfare with the West. And let's be clear, we are engaged in economic warfare with the sanctions, with the retaliatory uh, moves on the part of Russia to demand ruble payments and to cut off um, gas flows to Europe. Um, you know, at what point does it escalate from that to actual fighting? And hopefully it does not cross that line, but the rhetoric doesn't leave a lot more room for uh, escalation itself. Um, you know, action is what comes next. Right. We've had our he- – so everybody's heels are kind of dug in. What about a peace deal? There was a lot of discussion about that at the beginning. It seems to have gone quiet. Where, where are we with that? Yeah, I mean, the actual peace talks between Ukraine and Russia have really broken down. Uh, the potential is there to resume them, but there's not a lot of common ground. 
Ukraine uh, is saying that it's not going to give up any territory. You can totally understand that. They already lost territory, Crimea, all of Crimea to Russia in uh, 2014, even though they don't recognize that. I mean, it's, uh, the, you know, the Russians have held that now for eight years. They don't want to lose any more. The Russians, for their part, are making some rather um, impossible demands on Ukraine. It would essentially turn Ukraine into a puppet state. Uh, but you have French President Emmanuel, uh, you know, Emmanuel Macron. You've got the uh, German uh, you know, Chancellor Schultz uh, reaching out. Uh, the Italians put forth a peace plan that really would have kind of dismembered parts of the east of Ukraine. That that dropped like a hot rock. But Macron and Schultz really are pushing for a peaceful solution. And given the economic pressures in Europe, I mean, we think that we're paying a lot for gas and the heating here. Uh, the price of natural gas and of, and of uh, gasoline in, in Western Europe is going through the roof, and they're very dependent on Russia and very vulnerable to pressure from uh, from the east. So you, there is at least pressure coming from some of the Western alliance for a peace deal. You're seeing some fissures in the stance between, say, France and Germany on the one hand and the U.S. and the U.K. and the Eastern European kind of frontline states on the other. Um, they don't want the same thing. They've got different concerns and it's a question whether the Western alliance is going to hold together or will uh, you know, France and Germany really try to pressure Ukraine into finding some kind of a peace deal, even if it's not advantageous uh, to Ukraine in the end, just in order to kind of reduce the pain to Europe itself. J.D. Tuchili, thank you for joining us on Inside Sources. He's a contributing editor for a reason, and thank you for helping us take this deep dive in what's going on in the Ukraine. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Up next, Republicans in the Senate have actually laid out what they will do if they take over a majority in November. But is it any good? We'll talk to Nance Swift of the R Street Institute about it next. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.